0: Well, today's service is a bit different from the norm, because today is what we call Ordinance Sunday. We set it aside to observe the two ordinances that Christ has given to His church, those of communion and baptism, and we'll observe baptism at 5 o'clock this afternoon. Now an ordinance is a rite, it's a ceremony that we observe in obedience to what Christ has commanded. Neither communion nor baptism serves in any way to get you to heaven. In fact, as we'll see, the participants in both communion and baptism are those who are going to heaven. And they do not take part as a means to get there. Both of these are memorials. They are symbols that remind us of the work of Jesus Christ. So who should participate? Well, it is for those who have trusted Christ as Savior. Now, if you don't know what that means, then I'd love to explain it to you at a time of your convenience. See me afterwards or contact me this week. We'll set a time to get together. In the meantime, we're delighted that you're our guest, and we encourage you to observe what happens today. But for those who have trusted Christ as Savior, the Bible gives one other requirement, and that is that we confess known sin before we partake of the Lord's table. Now, in a bit, we're going to take time to go to the Lord, and that will be an opportunity for us to do that very thing. It may be that we have some sin that we refuse to give up, or something that the Lord has told us in His Word to do that we're unwilling to obey. In either of those cases, we should take this to the Lord, we should confess it, and He promises to forgive. Now, one matter that is too often overlooked as it relates to our worship on any Sunday, any Lord's Day, including Ordnance Sunday, is the matter of unresolved interpersonal conflict. Jesus said this, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there you remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift there in front of the altar, first go and be reconciled to them, then come and worship, then come and offer your gift. Jesus is saying that if there's an issue between us and someone else, we should take care of that before we participate in worship, including communion. So if you are aware of Jesus' instructions and you have a conflict that you're just refusing to handle, then I would encourage you not to participate and to take care of that issue today. If you tried to reconcile, but the other party refuses, you're released then from any biblical obligation. Or perhaps Jesus' command is new to you, and if that's the case, take the matter to the Lord when we pray, ask for His wisdom, participate today in communion, but address it with that individual this week, even this afternoon, because it's that important to God. And I always remind us that this matter of interpersonal relationship includes between us and our spouses as well. Now, another matter about which the Lord has commanded us is this issue of baptism. The Bible is clear that those who know Christ as Savior are to follow Him in obedience in baptism, being immersed in water to symbolize the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ. Now, if you are just struggling with what baptism is or you haven't had occasion to look into it, then if you have trusted Christ as Savior, we invite you to participate in in communion today, but you need to make it a point to see me about baptism so that we can have you baptized in obedience to the Lord at our next opportunity. If you have looked into it, but you're just refusing, that's a sin that needs to be confessed, but you can do that this morning and then follow up by getting with me and we can go from there. So who should participate? And that includes, should children participate? Well, the requirements are the same for children. They need to know Christ as Savior They need to be willing to be baptized. There's no prescribed age for either communion or baptism. And so we leave it to parents to decide if their children should participate. If you know Christ as Savior, and if you're willing to confess known sin in your life as we go to the Lord here now, then we invite you to participate in communion with us today. So we're going to pray now, and perhaps take this opportunity to do that very thing, to confess any known sin the Lord. Let's bow before the Lord. God the Father, we thank you for sending God the Son, Jesus, to die for our sin. Because of his offering of himself for us, we delight to offer ourselves to you in gratitude. Thank you for allowing us the privilege of being your children and being able to set aside this time to remember Christ's sacrifice for us. Lord, we readily confess that we are sinners in general and that we each struggle with certain sins in particular. We pray that you will be pleased as we remember with profoundly thankful hearts the death of Jesus on our behalf and that we'll be motivated to recommit ourselves to the service of the one who alone is worthy. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen. All right, fellows, if you'll come forward, we are now going to receive... The very outset, it's a different order today, but at the outset of our service, our our offering. And this is our regular weekly offering that those of us who are members of our church here participate in each Lord's Day in order, yes, to further the work of the Lord, but as an act of worship as well. Those of you who are guests today do not feel obligated to give as these baskets are passed. And I need to mention one other thing that many of you are aware of, and that is on Ordinance Sunday, we actually pass the basket. Twice, once now, and then another time at the end for a different offering, our benevolence offering that I'll explain at that time. For now, then, may the Lord bless you as you give. Our theme for today's communion service is the family of God, and that's because. The Greek word in your New Testament that's translated in some English versions, communion, is the word koinonia. It's sometimes translated participation, partnership, fellowship. It's a word that stresses what we have in common. And the community that Christians have is so deep that the Bible speaks of us as part of the same family. This morning, we will see two things that our participation in the family of God has associated with it. The first is that there are privileges for family members. And the second, responsibilities of family members. First of all, there are privileges associated with being in the family of God. We have these privileges because we are related to God, the Bible teaches. And being related to God, according to Scripture, means that God is our Father. And in order for that to impact us as it ought, we need to consider that Scripture teaches that not all are, by nature, God's children. In the words of that great theologian, country singer Alan Jackson, here comes a Baptist, here comes a Jew, there goes a Mormon and a Muslim too, I see a Buddhist and a Hindu, I see a Catholic and I see you. We're all God's children. We're all God's children. We're all God's children. Why can't we be one big happy family? You like the day, and I like the night. He's in the country, and he's not quite. There's folks on the left and the far right, but that doesn't mean that we have to fight. We're all God's children, all God's children. Yeah, we're all God's children. Why can't we be one big happy family? White folks, yellow folks, black and tan, on the same planet, in the same plan, a feminist woman and a he-man, we're all playing the magic hand. We're all God's children. We're all God's children. Oh, we're all God's children. Why can't we be one big happy family? We're all God's children. We're all God's children. Yeah, we're all God's children. Why can't we be one big happy family? In case you didn't get it, we're all God's children, all God's children. We're all God's children. Why can't we be one big happy family? One more time, all God's children, all God's children, all God's children. Why can't we be one happy family? He goes on. We are all God's children. We're all God's children. We're all God's children. We're all black and white. We're all precious in the sight. We're all God's children, all God's children. We're all God's children. Why can't we be one big happy family? You know, just as an aside, we listen to stuff without really thinking about it. And if we thought about it, we'd probably listen to less of it And what it's actually saying. Now, who am I to contradict what a country music singer says about the way the world works? But it seems to me he mixes up stuff that you choose, or at least you should choose, like your politics, with stuff that you don't, whether you're white, yellow, black, or tan, and also things that are matters of truth, like your religion and things that are preferences, like the day, uh, you, like the, you like the day and someone else likes the night, he's into country and he's not quite, you can put me in the, the not quite category. Unfortunately, Jesus didn't download Alan's Song, and it turns out he teaches something different. Jesus teaches that sin has broken humanity's relationship with God. When Jesus walked the earth, he said this, you belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desire. The Bible says of, of all of us, all people, that we were by nature Children of wrath. Now this all goes back to the very beginning and our first parents. That we all come from the same man and woman, Adam and Eve, from Genesis chapter 1. And then they had their own children. And then as a result, here we are. I've asked Brother Greg Mendak to read for us from Genesis 1 and 5. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. This is, written, this is the written account of Adam's family line. When God created mankind, he made them in the likeness of God. He created them male and female and blessed them. And he named them mankind when they were created. When Adam had lived 130 years, he had a son in his own likeness, in his own image, and he named him Seth. Now notice there that the Bible is comparing God having created Adam in his own likeness, but then later, Adam has a son in his likeness, and that later is after sin has entered the world. So as a result of that now, everybody who comes into the world bears the likeness of our forefather Adam, including his sin. Sin has broken man's relationship to God, so it means creatures of God are not necessarily children of God. What we are created to be naturally in the image of God, reflecting Him back to Him, we must now become supernaturally. But thankfully, Christ has provided the means by which we can be reconciled to our Creator, and we sing of that when we sing of amazing grace. Let's stand together. Thankfully, in His grace, God has undertaken to remedy our problem. We all come into the world with the image of our forefather Adam. That includes his sin uh, image, his sin nature. And so God has adopted us, the Bible teaches, into His family. Galatians chapter 4 speaks of this, and I've asked Brother Terry Lorraine to read for us.
1: When the fullness of the time came, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, so that he might redeem those who are under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. Because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into our hearts, crying, Abba, Father. Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God.
0: Now, most of us are familiar with adoption in the 21st century. After all, it's a relatively common practice. But it wasn't nearly as common in the world of the New Testament. One author explains what adoption looked like in Roman society. He says, Though the formal adoption of slaves was somewhat uncommon, it was permissible under Roman law and did occur in certain instances the extraordinary nature of the practice makes God's adoptive love toward us all the more remarkable in that he has done the unexpected by adopting all his slaves as his own children and naming us his heirs. In ancient Rome, the act of adoption immediately granted the former slave his freedom, permanently placing him into the family of his master. So also, as the adopted children of God, we have been set free from the slavery of sin and moreover we can rest assured in knowing that we have been given a permanent place in the family of God. Adoption in Roman times signified a new beginning, entrance into a new family such that all previous ties and obligations were broken. Once the adoption was complete the new son or daughter was then completely under both the care and control of the new father. The previous father. And remember in spiritual terms, that previous father was the devil for us. The previous father no longer had any authority over his former child. In Roman households, the authority of the pater familias, the father of the family, was final and absolute. And that authority extended to those adopted into his household starting at the moment of their adoption. All of God's children are adopted into his family. And the passage that Brother Terry read says that as a result of that, we have an intimate relationship with God whereby we cry out to him, Abba, Father. And again, the aforementioned author says Abba is an informal Aramaic term for father. It expresses tenderness, dependence, and a childlike assurance that lacks any anxiety or fear. Jesus himself used the term in the Garden of Gethsemane when he poured out his heart to his Father. That we would be allowed to address the Father in the same way Jesus did underscores the magnificent reality of our adoption. To be considered heirs of is a remarkable truth and one that we should never take for granted. The passage that we heard read from Galatians chapter 4 says indeed that we are heirs of God and God never disinherits His children, thanks be to God. We are heirs, never to be disinherited, and in fact, the Bible says that we are co-heirs with Christ. Now, how can that be? How is that the case? And the answer is, believe it or not, the Bible teaches that God is not only our Father, but Christ is our brother. And as such, there are important similarities between those adopted in God's family and our brother, Jesus Christ. I've asked Brother Jason Cartwright to read for us from Hebrews chapter 2. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God, for whom and through whom everything exists, should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. He says, I will declare your name to my brothers and sisters. In the assembly, I will sing your praises. And again, I will put my trust in him. And again, he says, here am I and the children God has given me. What an amazing thought that Jesus himself says, in the assembly, I will call them brothers and and sisters. So there are these similarities. We are in the family of God, and we have that in common as a co-heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. But of course, there are also important dissimilarities between us and Christ. In particular, we sin and He never did. Sin, but also status. One day, we will be, the Bible promises, free from sin, but we will never attain His status. He is God, and so He is the unique Son of God, God the Son. But God is, in the present, at work in us, making us like Jesus morally. And so the Bible says in Romans chapter 8, those that God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn, that is, the preeminent one among many brothers. So God is our Father. We are in the family of God by virtue of Him adopting us in, and Christ is our brother and the Holy Spirit. God, the Holy Spirit, is our guarantor of these truths. Our guarantee that God is Father and Christ is our brother are both true, but how do we know personally that God is our Father and Christ our brother? The answer is, biblically, the testimony of the Holy Spirit. The Bible speaks of being led by the Spirit. And as many who are led by the Spirit are the the children of God. Now, I've asked Brother Rocky Rourke to read for us from Romans chapter 8.
1: Those who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. The Spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. Indeed, if we share in his sufferings, in order that we may also share in his glory.
0: So this guarantee that the Holy Spirit gives us that we are indeed the adopted children of God comes because we begin to act in ways that are in keeping with the character of this God. And so, if you were to read further in Romans chapter 8, this identifying ourselves with God our Father and Christ as our brother is seen in moral moral characteristics that are developed within us. And because we have the Holy Spirit in special relationship to those who belong to God through Jesus Christ, then what's important to God resonates with the children of God. When we read the Word of God, it matters to us. We aren't simply going through the motions, but we say, Yes, Lord, You desire this, and therefore I desire it as well. And so we are related to God. And therefore, in God's family, we are related to one another, to each other. Back in 1979, the Pittsburgh Pirates won the World Series. Their theme song for that entire year was Sister Sledge and We Are Family. And in fact, the Bible teaches very poignantly and very often that we are family in the church. The Apostle Paul, who wrote 13 of the 27 books of our New Testament, uses much family terminology, such as he writes of a runaway slave, Onesimus, but he regards him as this way in Philemon verse 10, My son, Onesimus, who became my son while I was in prison. That is, Paul gave him the gospel. He came to faith. And so he's his son spiritually in the faith. Of Timothy, Paul said, I have no one else like him. Timothy has proved himself because as a son with his father, he has served with me in the work of the gospel. There is an unnamed woman for whom Paul reserves one of his most tender messages at the end of the book of Romans in chapter 16. He says, greet Rufus, chosen in the Lord, and his mother, who has been a mother to me too. By far and away, Paul's favorite way of referring to the members of the community of faith, the church, is as brothers and sisters. By my count, he does that no less than 101 times. So we belong to one another. We are in the same family. We are brothers and sisters, part of God's household, the church. The Bible says that we then should give priority to that. Galatians chapter 10 says, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family believers. Ephesians chapter 2, we're reminded you are no longer foreigners and aliens but fellow citizens with God's people, members of God's household. That is why when we started this church 22 years ago and we needed to come up with a name, we chose the name community because we thought it was fitting for what the Bible presents as the relational aspect between us and God and us and one another, and us with the larger community that we hope to, to reach. And we also at that time made our motto, which we have had to this day, that we are, and it says right under our logo, the family of God, built on the Word of God to the glory of God. Our next song speaks of God's family as our own. Let's stand together as we sing. Now, lest we think that this privilege that we have as being family members only applies to the body of Christ writ large, the universal church, and not folks here, sometimes we have that sort of mentality. I saw a little poem some years ago that said, to live above with saints we love, well, that will be grace and glory. But to live below with those we know, that's another story. The Bible, in fact, when it talks about the family of God, it's speaking of this family, local, local churches, united together to carry out the work of God, are called the family of God in Scripture, including this one. So to his young protege, Timothy, the Apostle Paul wrote, I am writing you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in God's household, Which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth? Now, notice there, God's household is equated to the church of the living God and the pillar and foundation of the truth. How do I know that that's referring to a local assembly in a particular place? Here's how. He says at the beginning there, I am writing you these instructions. What instructions? That's in 1 Timothy chapter 3. If you were to go back into 1 Timothy chapter 2 you would see that he's giving there instructions about how worship ought to take place within the local assembly when you gather together, and he gives principles for that. And then when you come to the beginning of 1 Timothy chapter 3, he says, if anyone desires the office of a pastor, he desires a good work. Now, an elder or a pastor, an overseer must be the husband of but one wife, and then goes on all the way down through verse 7 to give instructions give uh, qualifications for leadership pastoral leadership in the church when he comes to verse eight he says deacons likewise and he gives qualifications for those who would serve as deacons in the church and then he gives instructions on deacons wives and qualifications for them and then that's when he says what we had on the screen a bit ago i have written you these instructions so that you might know how people ought to conduct themselves in god's family God's household. So where is it that you have pastors, and where is it that you have deacons, and where is it that you have deacons' wives? It's in the local assembly. In this case, as Paul wrote to Timothy, the local assembly in the city of Ephesus, of which Timothy was the leader. And so these lofty things that the Bible says about our oneness in Christ and our oneness together in the family of God apply to us here at Community Bible Church in Trenton. There are privileges of family members, but there are also responsibilities. One of those responsibilities is that we must protect the family name. Name in Scripture means character, reputation. And so, hallowed be your name, Jesus said in the model prayer that he gave to us. Hallowed, holy, set apart. May your character and what you are like be set apart among your people and throughout your world. And that's why we sometimes say someone is making a name for themselves. They're making a a reputation for themselves. So scripture says in Ephesians chapter 3, I kneel before the Father from whom his whole family in heaven and on earth derives its name, derives its its character. We are to display the character of the one who is our Father. Paul again writing to Timothy said, all who are under the yoke of slavery should consider their masters worthy of full respect, but here's why. Here's why slaves should be reverent toward their masters, employees to employers, so that because for the purpose that God's name and our teaching may not be slandered. So in our interactions with one another, but also with those outside of the family of God, we have the responsibility to protect the family name. And having that name, by whose character we are known, was so precious to the first followers of Jesus that they were willing to suffer disgrace for it. We see that in... The book of Acts, Acts chapter 5, and I've asked Brother Frank McNabb to read for us.
2: The apostles were brought brought in and made to appear before the Sanhedrin to be questioned by the high priest. We gave you strict orders not to teach in this name, he said. Yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching, and are determined to make us guilty of this man's blood. His speech persuaded them. They called the apostles in and had them flogged. Then they ordered them not to speak in the name of Jesus and let them go. The apostles left the Sanhedrin rejoicing because they had been counted
0: worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name. You see that. Here they are flogged. Here they are, here they are punished for doing nothing wrong. But they rejoice because they were considered worthy, counted worthy of suffering, disgrace for the name. It means, friends, as part of the family of God then we must pursue in our own individual lives personal purity, personal holiness. But also congregationally, together, we must pursue that as well. This is part of the reason that we engage in what I called in last week's message from Psalm 51, the ministry of confrontation. Those of you that were here may remember I said that word is scary because it connotes something hostile or argumentative. That's not what I'm referring to but it's simply dealing with issues for the sake of someone else. We engage in this with one another so that if we see a brother or sister harming the name of Christ, we lovingly call them back from that. Just a few passages that I will give you if you care to jot them down, but just so you know, I'm not making more of this than the Bible does. Galatians chapter 6 and verse 1, if you see a brother or sister caught in a sin, seek to restore him or her. Jesus said famously in Matthew chapter 18, if your brother has something against you or if your your brother has sinned against you, go to them in order to see it reconciled. In the passage we saw at the beginning in Matthew chapter 5, it was was us who are the offenders, and so we seek to make it right. So in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus is saying, if you're the offender, go to make it right. In Matthew chapter 18, if you're the offended, go to make it right. Either way, the idea is we're pursuing reconciliation so that we are displaying the character of God in our interactions. 2 Thessalonians chapter 3 and verse 14 said that people who refuse to do this, refuse to deal with sin, then are people who are in unrepentant sin and then at some point cannot be called as part of the local family. Do not associate, it says. Very, very difficult. Hebrews chapter 3 says, and verse 12, see to it that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart. James chapter 5 and verse 19, love turns one from the error of their way. I belabor that to simply say this idea of we bearing the family name and the responsibility that we have in order to uphold that name in our individual lives and as a church is because the character of God is holy. Let's remind ourselves of that as we stand and sing, holy, holy, holy. We have privileges as those who are in the family of God, and one of those privileges is that we uphold the the family name. But another of those is that we tend to the family business. And part of that business, so to speak, is helping each family member grow spiritually. We take personal responsibility for the growth of those in the family. So just pause and think for a moment. Do you know people within the family so that you could do that? This presupposes that we know one another, that we engage with with one another. So listen as Brother Keith Bass reads for us from Titus chapter 2.
1: Teach the older women to be reverent in the way they live, not to be slanders or addicted to much wine, but to teach what is good. Then they can urge the younger women to love their husbands and children to be self-controlled and pure, to be busy at home, to be kind, and to be subject to their husbands, so that no one will malign the word of God.
0: This is one of the reasons that in the various ministries that we have here at the church, we try not to always segregate by age or by demographic, but rather we seek to have the older and the younger together, so that they can get to know one another, and so that this very kind of teaching, and the Bible speaks that older men should do the same kind of thing with, with younger men. And another part of the family business is not only do we help each other with spiritual needs, but we demonstrate love for one another as we help meet each other's physical needs as well. The Bible speaks of our family relationship, our adoption as sons and daughters into the family of God, but the obligation that that creates for us toward one another. In 1 John chapter 3, I've asked Brother Eugene LaChapelle to read for us. See what great love the Father has
2: lavished on us, that we should be called children of God, and that is what we are. This is how we know who the children of God are and who the children of the devil are. Anyone who does not do what is right is not God's child, nor is God. Nor is anyone who does not love their brother and sister. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers and sisters. If anyone has material possessions and see a brother and sister in need, but has no pity on them, how can the love of God be in that person? Dear children, let us not love with words or speech, but with the actions
0: and in truth. Notice that it says this family relationship means That if anyone has material possessions and they see a brother in need but have no pity, then that suggests that the love of God is not in them. So we have not only spiritual obligations to one another, but physical, material obligations. And that's why at the end of our service today, we will collect that offering that I mentioned that goes for that very thing. And together, the church family has been given by Christ a business to pursue. Again, speaking so to speak, business to pursue namely the biblical mission and the bible teaches that we are to be all of us vigilant excuse me about being a part of and actively engaged in that mission to spread christ's fame in his world and so at the end of his great chapter on the resurrection and our hope to one day be bodily Rejoicing before the Lord and His throne in First Corinthians chapter 15, in the very last verse, the 58th verse, Paul says this, stand firm, always giving yourselves fully to the work of the Lord. All of us, because we have this hope, we give ourselves to the work of the Lord, Great Commission Incorporated, as it were. In Philippians chapter 1 in verse 5, Paul, as he often did in his letters to the churches to whom he wrote, he would tell them how he prays for them. And in the very first chapter of his letter to the church at Philippi, he says, when I pray for you, I thank God because of, quote, your partnership in the gospel. That word partnership? Communion. Koinonia. And so God has called us as his family to represent him in the family business. This requires then for many of us that we alter our priorities and we make God's family and its business our chief concern. I'm going to ask you to stand one more time. I know you just stood a minute ago. You'll have some time to sit here, but let's stand as we sing of the church's responsibility and privilege before the Lord. (laughs)
3: Oh <laughs> the Son of God is stricken then see his foes lie crushed beneath his feet for the conqueror has
0: Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. We're going to be led in prayer by the chairman of our deacons, Brother Pete Bellich, thanking the Lord for his broken body on our behalf.
1: Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we're eternally grateful for the gospel that you have revealed to us and that by your grace you have adopted us into your family. Thank you for gathering us together today in worship to remember what you have accomplished for us. As we prepare to partake of this bread, we humbly remember this is a symbol of your body, battered, bruised, and broken, yet given for us so that we may have life. We are so grateful that, by your great love for us, you would come down and take the punishment that we deserve, paying the debt for our sin in full. You are the one and only perfect sacrifice that redeemed us from our sins. Today, we reflect on this truth and give thanks to you, Lord. All honor, praise, and glory belongs to you. It is in your name we pray. Amen.
0: Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. One of our deacons, Brother Glenn Crock, is going to lead us in prayer, thanking the Lord for his shed blood on our behalf.
2: Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, mighty God, King of kings and Lord of lords, we thank you, Lord, for this unbelievably excellent opportunity, Father, to come together as a family this morning, Lord, and to share what you have done, Lord, to us, for us, Lord. We ask that you'll continue to guide us and encourage us, Lord, daily. Father, most of all, Lord, we thank you for this shed blood, Lord, As we drink this cup today, Lord, as an example, a representation, Lord, of what you've done for us, your shed blood. Father, covering our sins, Lord, we thank you. Lord, combined as a family, Father, we thank you. And Lord, individually, help us to see, Father, that it's you we owe our lives to. Father, we thank you so much for this opportunity. We pray, God, that you'll continue to guide our footsteps and direct our paths, Lord, as we give you the thanks, the praise, and the glory. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen.
0: Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. We're going to conclude our service with two items, one of which I told you about at the beginning, and that is this second offering that we receive on Ordinance Sunday. And that offering is called a benevolence offering. It goes into a fund that is overseen by our deacons, so that when needs arise within the church family, we have, they have that fund to uh, tip into, uh, dip into in order to meet those needs. Those needs do come up throughout the uh, year. We just had one come up within the last couple of weeks, and so your giving toward that really does help uh, brothers and sisters in need. So guys, if you'll come on forward, we will receive that, that offering And they're going to start taking that now. While they do that, I'm going to make some announcements very quickly, things that are coming up, and then we'll conclude with that second item, and that is a closing song. We have a connection card that most of you know about that if you send the keyword CBC Connect to 97,000, you can let us know what we can do for you, or you can find out anything that you would like to know about any of the events that are coming up in the life of our church. One of those is second hour after we're done here and after we've finished our refreshment time at eleven fifteen, we'll continue our series, uh, God's design for sexuality. Every Wednesday midweek we have a full complement of services for the entire family, adult all the way down through nursery. It starts at six o'clock, and you guys can just click through what those are. You can see them on our website. And we have dinner at 5 o'clock because we know it's hard to get here at 6 for some folks coming straight from work and soccer practice and all of that. You need to register if you want to participate in the dinner by midnight on, on Tuesday. This Saturday is our next newcomer's brunch. It's at 10 o'clock. It's at our house. We would love to have you come to that, but we need to know that you're coming for food purposes. So please, today, even today, please register for that. and We would love to meet you in that, in that setting. In three weeks... For our membership in the afternoon, Sunday the 26th, we have our next family meeting, otherwise known as a church business meeting. You'll receive a Zoom link a link for that 2.30 in the afternoon meeting. And then lastly, the annual Ladies Christmas Social is on Friday, December the 8th. Registration for table hosts has been open for a while. We've had a good number of ladies volunteer to do that. Thank you. There's still some table hosts. Now. We have all the table hosts we need. So now it is open for just attendees. Anybody that's just wanting to attend and bring a friend and please do that, that registration is open at our website as well. Let's stand now for our closing song.